There are a lot of people who are enjoying all the results that you want to enjoy. And the only difference between you and them is that they believe in themselves more. And so they act accordingly. Like they do things because they think that they can and it will work. Howdy, friends. Uh, thanks for tuning in to the Undefeated Underdogs podcast. I'm your host, Sharath. Today, I have a very special guest who's a good friend of mine, who's also like a kind of like someone I look up to when it comes to like YouTubing, creator and other things. Uh, this is none other than Jay Klaus. Jay, thanks for being on the pod. Excited to be here, man. I, I told you before you start recording, uh, I look up to you as a software creator, uh, something I've never taken on myself personally. And shout out is such a beautiful, simple piece of software and something that I use in my business every day. So thank you for making it. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for the kind words. So for folks who, who don't know Jay, let me give you guys a brief intro. Jay is a podcaster, writer, uh, YouTuber, and he called himself creator scientist, which is something I want to, you know, dive deeper into the conversation, but he's on a mission to help people become professional creators. He writes at creator science, hosts creator, creative elements, a narrative interview podcast exploring the brains, the frameworks, and, you know, every other things about top creators. So he's, he's a master in, in creating everything. Uh, he's also a community builder. He's he got like tons of experience with paid membership communities, as well as cohort based courses. Jay, let's get into it. I do have a few things I've prepared for you. Yes. Uh, again, you're a top hat because you're a master <laughs> of many things. Uh, <laughs> All right, let's let's get into it. Let's let's go back to 2020. I think first of all, I, I I've just remembered this. The first time I came in, you know, uh, came across you is on Twitter, of course. And when you were doing this thing called, I think, hundred tweet challenge. Tweet 100, so, yeah. Tweet 100, yeah. So a lot many people joined. I think I joined as well. I love tweeting. So I saw then, like, okay, this guy's insanely crazy. He's like, he's onto everything. So. Uh, I've observed like you from afar from the sidelines and, you know, being a big fan. So let's mm -hmm. go back to uh, 2020 because uh, that's one of the uh, interesting, one of the interesting tweets you did uh, is about uh, defining a creator, which is shout out to first to Legion who actually initiated the thread. There are like tons of creator definitions right there. Uh, I know you have like a working definition, you know, which, you know, we can talk about, but is it still evolving or do you want to keep it as is? What's going on there? Yeah, it's it's hard to give things definitions when people are going to put their own definition on it anyway. But hmm. in general, I would say that a creator is somebody that's making something for the purpose of providing value to somebody else and then capturing some of that value for themselves. Like there is an inherent transaction there, in my opinion. Because if you're not doing that, I would I would bucket you in the realm of artist, which is mm. totally viable and, and legitimate and awesome. Uh, but um, the this threshold between artist and creator to me is I'm making this thing for the purpose of creating value for somebody else, and in so doing, I will also capture value for myself. I I, I love that uh, it's kind of like a two way street. What you're what you're talking about is you know you kind of want to provide value at the same time, kind of capture value from others. Uh, I love that this definition, and so it's 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 very interesting what you said about creator not being an artist. So why do you think is is there like a is there like a strong belief that went into that thought or uh, do you have like a backstory for it? I don't think they're mutually exclusive either. Like to me, it's it's kind of a Venn diagram uh, where creators are artists. Not all artists would call themselves creators, and that's okay. So you know, I very much, especially this year, I approach my work more and more through the lens of being an artist, but also knowing that my vocation, the actual like career I'm building is as a creator. That is, that mm. is the, the business that I'm making. Um, but you know, the things that I make, yeah, I do approach them as an artist might approach them in some ways. Like I want things to be beautiful and usable and remarkable right. and unique, but still for the purpose of creating value for somebody else so that I can also extract some of that value for myself. Like that's just the nature of running a business, I think. I think it's it's very interesting what you said. 
uh, an artist is you know does usually express uh, that's like the way of you know they do things like they have a painting or they have a thought they want to express yeah. into transform that thought into a painting or a song or something else which is more expression but what you're saying is about value values a lot different than expression you know expression is like a like a natural thing value has value should be like value value yeah <laughs> i'll well, stop saying value so much but <laughs> and a lot of artists will find that the thing that they made to express themselves does create some value for somebody else and that can be a good thing they might still not uh identify as a creator they might identify more as an artist and there's like there's such a blurred line mm. here because you know professional musicians i would say they are creators but they probably don't identify that way they probably identify as artists so you know right. i think we all kind of know what we're talking about here when we <laughs> say creator it's like yeah i've i've seen that like your your work is mostly in the form of content most of the time as a creator mm -hmm. and and uh scalable digital assets mm. that's typically what i talk about mm. yeah it makes sense it makes a lot of sense so let's not uh you know spend too much time on the definitions but let's get into you know uh an interesting angle which you mentioned uh which is actually you know your your course or basically the creator scientist you call yourself as a creator scientist so again going back to uh creating something i always thought it's kind of an art but you claim that there is much more beyond than art which is there is a science behind it there is some thought process there is some like you know frameworks involved uh, there is some you know ins and outs and uh, tell me more about that that thought line where, where where did you develop that yeah this is this is part personal belief and also part the change that i want to help creators make for themselves if you're a creator in the definition we've kind of spitballed here you're building a business um and you should embrace that and you should also recognize that a business is a machine in some ways like you can you can build this thing to be repeatable reliable um and ultimately like you are inputting your creativity and your time and the output of that machine should be value for other people and also value for yourself and the only way to make machines better and perform better over time is to consistently improve them and how do you do that well you you look at the guts of this thing and see, okay, what are the inputs in the system? What are the outputs? How mm -hmm. are those inputs leading to the outputs? And how right. can I change those inputs in order to change the outputs? And the best creators that I see are really good at that process and also open to that process. Because a lot of people won't want to do the hard work at looking at things and understanding how did the inputs become the outcomes. And so what I try to do with creator science, my newsletter and any product that I create is to help people better understand the machine that is their mm -hmm. business as a creator and start to look at things from more of a, a lens of data and experimentation and say, right. how can I, in, how can I meaningfully change the trajectory or the results that I'm seeing? Because it's not magic and it's not mystical. Right. Like it's all there for you <laughs> to explore and understand and that's what I'm trying to help more creators do. I love that. I think uh, what you're trying to say is it's it's a way of expression. That's step one. But you have to get into a deeper level to see what works and what doesn't. I think a lot many people, at least in my opinion, they purely focus on what works and they leave what doesn't work, which is actually pretty much very important too because once you fo start focusing on what doesn't work you you end up being you know uh doing what works and i feel uh, a data i i've never heard uh anything any at least in terms of a creator perspective that data is involved you know data driven yeah. is all usually like you know i'm a product person you know I build products uh and i work in, in a community based uh, you know roles so data is very different for us in, in startups as founders and whatnot we treat like okay what's working what feature is hitting what page pages are hitting let's actually double down on this copy etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah 
uh i think i want to dive deeper into that like how did you identify like did you see the power of data before and what determined you to be like actually like you know what this works as well for creators yeah before i was a creator i was a startup guy and i ran product within startup companies and so i look at all this as products like it was so mm. it was so empowering to me as a product person to realize oh content is a product and it's a product that i can control and move all on my own because in my startup days as a product manager or product lead i had ideas for things but ultimately like that had to go through engineers designers mm-hmm. and out of the other end came things that weren't quite what i was thinking because of whatever compromises we had to make and also you're kind of playing a game of telephone when you have a team involved so it was really empowering to me that content itself can be approached as a product for a mm-hmm. business and i came at it with a product lens and i look at things like okay this is what i'm trying to achieve with this this is the this is the problem it's trying to solve for somebody is it performing and what is the feedback that i'm getting on it and everything is data whether it's qualitative or quantitative the number of likes right. i get on a tweet is data the number of retweets i get is mm-hmm. data the the Absolutely. amount a tweet succeeds within a time frame after posting that is data looking at your uh, analytics inside of instagram just that show you know when are your followers most active that is data whether right. you know it or a lot or not or not you're taking some cues from some data somewhere I'm just encouraging people to like really lean into that even more. And mm. it's not making a ton of spreadsheets. You could go that far, but you don't have to necessarily go that far. Like you don't have to map out every little interaction, every piece of content you put out over time on a spreadsheet. I'm sure you would actually get some really good insights if you did that. But right. looking at the things you're doing as experiments and saying, okay, right. here's my hypothesis. I think if I do this, the outcome will be this. Here we go. And then looking at the results and saying, was the outcome what I thought it would be? And if not, why not? How does that inform the next experiment? An experiment could be anything. It could be the time you post. It could be what you post. It could be, you know, mm. how you edit the video. It could be the thumbnail that you make for your YouTube video, anything. I just right. encourage creators to approach these things with more of a curious lens with mm. some more rigor to say, everything I'm doing, I can collect data to improve my efforts forthgoing. It doesn't have to be lucky. I don't have to go viral. I can look at these things and improve reliably over time. Right. So it, it's interesting. Uh, I, I think we, you, you and I, we can relate to being data driven because, you know, we partly did some point of life dive into numbers, like look at, look at numbers every day. But, uh, so don't you think looking into data too much can be tiring, especially for, uh, for people like creators, right? Like they, they tend to enjoy what they do, you know, in a way, sure. and, you know, optimizing is good, but for people who are getting started, uh, at least in my personal life, I try to optimize when I hit, uh, a point or inflection point where I think, you know what, I'm on a machine. This is running by itself. I don't want to like, you know, add new frameworks to it. I'm already in the flow. Let's actually try to optimize. So take my example, just like, you know, for the sake of conversation, uh, when I started my Twitter journey, I had like 200 followers. I used to tweet 50 tweets per day. Like, ridiculous. like I, I, I actually went bonkers. Like it's all inputs. And I, 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 I like the way you framed as well. It's all about inputs, like putting it out, shooting in the dark, you know, and, and whatnot. This was like two, three years ago. So I, I quickly started like, okay, this is a mission I've built for myself. It, it's working well. And I hit an inflection point. You know what? I don't have to like do 50 tweets. Let me actually try to find certain templates I want to, you know, talk about or some frameworks and threads and whatnot. So Let's not get into details, but the, the point I want to make is uh, for people like who are not into numbers, mm-hmm. it might be tiring for them. It might be like, oh my God, you know, I'm stressful. I, I only see not many things moving forward. The needle is not moving. What do you suggest uh, or what's your uh, input for them? 
My blunt answer is I suggest you get over it because you want this <laughs> thing to be successful. Like, I'm sorry, but if, you, if you're, you're looking at numbers all day long, even if you feel like you don't like numbers, you're looking to see how many likes that I get on this post. You're looking to see how many views that I get of this video. You're looking at numbers. Just go a little bit deeper so you can mm-hmm. say, I'm going to take control of what's going on here because it's way more empowering to say, oh, I understand, or I think I understand what happened here. Let me adapt because of that, because that's the only way you're going to reliably and in your own power get to the right place. Otherwise, you're just playing a slot machine. So mm-hmm. like you, you have to get over it to some degree. But again, like there's a spectrum of how far you go here. Like I don't have any spreadsheets outside of my KPI tracking that I do on a monthly basis. And by the way, once I started doing KPI tracking on a monthly basis, my business improved on all the measures Mm -hmm. that I was measuring. Not a coincidence. But what you can look at is just more anecdotal things. Like Twitter is my biggest social platform as well. Uh, I decided to run an experiment. What if I post more threads? You know what happened when I posted more threads? I could see that my followers went up. So Mm -hmm. that informed my inputs and decisions that I made. I decided to say, okay, well, let me just do more of these. They don't have to be like crazy in-depth, world-changing things, but let me just publish more threads and see what happens. Good things happen. I also started to get the feeling that, huh, you know what? When I space my tweets out, Hmm. each of them do better. And sometimes if I tweet a thread that's doing well, and then I just put out some other tweet, it seems to slow down that thread that was going well. I experimented with that. I tried that a few times and I proved that to be true. At least for me, Mm -hmm. I don't know why that is, but that informed my behavior. Now I said, okay, I actually only need like one good tweet or thread per day. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that was great because that actually allowed me to reclaim some time to move towards something else. So if you're, if you're afraid of these numbers, you're, you're more closely going to be living the life of an artist than you are a creator because like you, you aren't focusing on building the machine. Um, and that's okay if that's what you want to do. But if you're saying, I want, I want to be financially incentivized and compensated for all this effort that I'm putting in as a creator, then Mm -hmm. you should embrace that. What you're doing can be controlled by you. And you just have to look at the data and, you know, put a little bit of rigor into what you're doing. I, I, I really like that, uh, more than the, the previous approach, which is like numbers, numbers. I feel like behavior is much more, at least for people who they don't, they're, they're not into numbers. I think behavior is such an important uh, way of looking at things. Like how you said, you know, space out tweets or, you know, uh, uh, create a YouTube video with a different tile or thumbnail, you know, this is all about experimenting. So the follow-up question I have for you is how do you treat experimentation and iteration? Uh, I, I just want to like uh, dive deeper into your mind uh, of working things, especially you have like different sets of channels. Yeah. You have a YouTube channel that, that requires a different iteration. A Twitter is a different iteration. Content there is different. So if you want to talk about that, that would be great. A lot of it I do subconsciously at this point, but I'm trying to make an effort to document more of it consciously because what I'm realizing is the experiments that I'm running make for great content for the newsletters that I'm building. Hmm. We, in our uh, membership community, the lab, that's the membership attached to my newsletter. We have an experiments channel where I have a format Hmm. now that when you are trying to achieve some result and you think you have a pathway to do that, post about it. And this becomes like a shared space of knowledge for the whole community to, to share these experiments. So when I approach things, it's, it's always to the lens of hypothesis approach results and those results in, inform the next hypothesis, like the next assumption of what I'm doing. So I'm always experimenting and I try to uh, empower other people on my team to do the same. I don't have any employees, but I have a, a YouTube um, editor and mm-hmm. he works with our thumbnail artists. So ostensibly like he's in control of the channel. And right. so I keep track every month, again, in that KPI spreadsheet of, the major important data points on our channel, which is namely uh, view time, mm-hmm. uh, number of views, average view duration, and click-through rate. And I'll, I'll track that every month and we'll see where we're trending. And based on that, we'll say, okay, 
like this week, we, we redid the way that we edit the introduction of the podcast because we actually spoke with a consultant, Patty Galloway. And he said, okay, for a long form interview podcast, you're going to see a huge drop in viewers in the first 60 seconds of the show. And his Mm. advice was, I would encourage you to really try to optimize for retention in the first 60 seconds, because that'll flow through and have a downstream impact on the rest of the video. So we changed the way we did the introduction on this week's episode, really doing like a highly edited 60 second intro to the show. Uh, that was literally posted last night. So we don't even have enough time yet for YouTube to show us the data on that retention graph. But I have right. high expectations that the 60 <laughs> second retention will be much higher than before. Now that may introduce some other problem. Like maybe we'll we'll see a huge drop after 60 seconds now. And so the challenge becomes, how do we move that forward? But that was a hypothesis where we decided to take an approach and we're going to mm. measure the results. And based on that, that'll inform the next video that we create. I absolutely love that. I'm actually taking notes for myself because, man, I'm not optimizing anything. At this point, I'm just like recording. I have an editor who does things and just put it out. I don't don't even love the word optimize for this because optimize feels like there's a perfect solution. And that's not even what I'm going for. I'm just going for improvement. Like I think more about that 1% better type of Mm. idea where it's like, what can we do to just make this better? You don't have to optimize. I don't even know like at what point you would say this is optimized. It, it gives me anxiety because it makes me feel like there's a right or a wrong answer. And I'm trying to get the right answer. And what I'm right. just trying to do is get a better answer. I, I, I love that even more. I feel like maybe that's what my problem is. I'm trying to, <laughs> I'm trying not to optimize, but at the same time, not trying to make it like slightly better. Like, you know, I, I, I read this. So I think maybe this is me being... Uh, a content creator, but I do have that side of things where I want to, I try to like become better as a product person or become mm-hmm. better as a community person, right? Like I have to like adapt like atomic habits. You know, I read the read James Clear's book, shout out to him. He kind of, you know, uh, put that thought in my mind, like always try to be one person better. So, uh, man, I love, love those points. Don't try to optimize, just to summarize for the listeners. Don't try to optimize. Look at behaviors if you have, if you're afraid of numbers and try to become one person better. Uh, hypothesis, take an approach, observe the results, experiment, iterate. Yeah, and rinse and move, repeat. Move forward. Rinse and repeat. Love that. Uh, so wait a minute. I think what was my next question? You have you've touched so many points. So okay. How do you uh, how do you balance experimentation versus like okay these are the certain things I want to experiment as a content creator like for example certain t- tweets or experiments how do you balance putting your time there versus like okay you know certain templates really work and let me put here certain effort like, how do you balance that I don't really have templates that work like maybe sometimes i'll look and see what has worked for other people and use that as inspiration but i'm pretty much always experimenting you know there are some constants like i'm going to publish a newsletter every sunday i'm going to publish a youtube video every tuesday and i'm going to publish that as a podcast episode every tuesday as well those are the constants but the variables within that are pretty flexible like yeah the Mm. podcast has a certain format that i don't play with too too much But I just said, like, we just changed the whole intro to it. So we do play with that Hmm. newsletter. That format is fairly, uh, fairly stable, but I play with that sometimes too. Like one challenge I was having with my newsletter was my click-through rates were lower than I wanted them to be. Uh, I Hmm. wanted them to be like more than 3%. And most emails were like less than 1%, sometimes half a percent. And that was a challenge because I was beginning to sell advertising in the newsletter. And I was like, well, I want people to have more of a behavior of clicking things in there. So what can I do sure. to to change that? So I changed the format of the newsletter where instead of having the entire article in the body of the email, I would have like a uh, two to three paragraph uh, teaser and then say, click here mm. to finish reading. Right. And not only did that increase my click-through rates reliably, but it also gave me a lot of insight about how many people are reading closely and actually want to read the full article. Uh, That was really insightful as data too. So I'm pretty much always experimenting. If I'm not experimenting, 
then I'm not getting better because if I'm just doing the same thing over, over and over again, like I'm going to get the same results. Mm. You know, every, every system is perfectly designed to achieve the result that it achieves. And we're constantly trying to get better results. So that means I have to, by definition, change something about the process or the content or something to get different results. And that is an experiment. I think it works really well. I can relate to that uh, thought processes because every newsletter edition or every podcast or every product iteration will become new because you're trying something new. So you don't, you don't feel like you're repeating and you're, you're, you're becoming like cog in the wheel. You're kind of adding a fresh yeah. flavor every single time. I yeah. think that's, that's what I did when I, again, I stopped uh, writing this newsletter called product device last year. I did like 24 editions, 24 weeks back to back continuously. And again, shout out came in. So I have to like focus shift gears, but that's what I did to keep the ball rolling and to keep me exciting about this newsletter. Every edition I used to like think a little bit, like 1%, mm -hmm. one, one slight difference from the previous version. Yeah. And you also change a ton. Like, like we're saying, like if, if you look at science, um, you only can run a legitimate experiment if you only change one variable and the rest remain constant. So by definition, there's a lot of constants mm. that you'll be doing each time you experiment with something, but there should be something that you're trying differently for a reason, you know, for, for some specific intentional reason to measure differences based on that change. I love that. Let's, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about KPIs. You mentioned that before you have like a spreadsheet you re revisit every month. Uh, for folks who are listening, and they're like a set of people who are just getting started and there are a set of people who are like, you know, they're trying to up their game. What KPIs would you suggest? And I'm, I want, I, I asked this question for myself because sure. I, I don't have a KPI. <laughs> yeah. I'm just, I think in your definition, I'm an artist right now, <laughs> but I want to turn into a creator. So. Yeah, I, so a lot of people have different viewpoints on KPIs. KPI stands for key performance indicator. It's some measurable, quantifiable way for you to know that the important things in your business are being measured so that you can improve them. And a lot of people will tell you that you should have very few KPIs and just mm -hmm. say like, this is the only thing that we're trying to optimize for. Um, I take a little bit of a different approach, especially in my position, leading a community of other creators who like want to experiment and get better. I track a lot of stuff. So for mm. me, I have uh, a dashboard that tracks revenue, expenses, net income as like totals. Mm -hmm. Right. So I can show like the, the increase in, uh, totals, but also like the percentage increase. Um, I'll break that down by category. Like I'll have mm -hmm. affiliates as one part of my income bucket. And then I'll actually break down affiliates into who those affiliate partners are. So I can actually like really see a full story of what's changing on both sides of the P and L income and expenses. Mm -hmm. And then I'll, I'll even track data on all of my social media platforms where it's like, okay. Here's the growth in followers on platforms A, B, and C, like Twitter, Instagram, and and um, TikTok. Even though I'm not really doing TikTok, I'll mm -hmm. I'll track downloads on Spotify, not just in total, but on the two platforms I care about most, which is Apple Podcasts and Spotify, to see if that's growing. So I track a lot of stuff, and that may sound like wow, that sounds crazy, but it <laughs> takes me you know ten minutes every month. I do it once a month, it takes me ten minutes. Mm. And it gives me this incredible historical look at what's going on um, where I can draw trends and understand what's, what changed, what, what's different here months where I feel like, oh man, I'm spending way too much money on software. I can look back and say, actually, this is marginally above where I was spending in January. I'm fine. Hmm. It's, it's helpful to have data because data doesn't lie most of the time. Right. Um, and then you can just kind of pick that, like everything that you track I don't even know if I would even call these things all KPIs. Like to me, it's, it's, it's data and mm -hmm. I may change the KPIs that I'm really focused on month to month where it's like, actually, I want to increase my net income. How am I going to do that? I can either increase uh, revenue or I can decrease expenses. Right. It gives you levers to play with, but I, I like to have a full picture so that month to month I can run experiments of, okay, this month, let me just see if I can get 10% growth on Twitter. How would I do that? Mm -hmm. if that's my goal this month. Love that. Uh, okay, let's let's talk about 
you're big on trends, you know. Uh, you've started your re- YouTube channel recently. Let's talk about YouTube trends. What are you seeing right now that are like really working? As, at least for you as, as well as on a whole in the industry. I don't think we've really practiced yet. Um, you know, what's really working on YouTube right now is shorts. People who are making really great short form content, they're seeing millions and millions of views and now they're getting a path to monetization, which is really great. Um, the question that, you know, we heard a lot and asked a lot when we were starting to get into YouTube because we only launched the podcast channel in January, or sorry, July of this year. Mm-hmm. And even the big channels were like, we're not really sure how to connect our main channel and our shorts content because they were worried that shorts content would detract from the long form videos that subscribers have come to want. Uh, even mm. though YouTube said that they're building these things separately. So it seems like in the last month or so, YouTube has doubled down on that perspective and been like, you should keep all these things in one channel. They introduced a new tab on your YouTube channel called shorts. So Uh, it kind of silos them off. They're going to go after TikTok in a big way. And I think they'll be really successful in that way. Mm -hmm. But what a lot of people try to do is take, um, like repurpose bits of long form videos for shorts, thinking that will introduce people then to the long form version of that thing. What I haven't seen a compelling story for is if that is actually true, if short form viewers become long form viewers, But what I have seen is typically something that's made natively for vertical short form performs much better than a repurposed thing for vertical short form, even if the video quality is really high. Like you can pull out 60 seconds from an in-person podcast Mm. interview and it looks really good. Like it's aesthetically pleasing, but that's not going to be the highest performing type of vertical short form video. People who actually script and construct and edit a 60 second clip for short form specifically to tell a story in that in those constraints that's always going to perform better Mm, um that's interesting so a lot of the shorts creators that are doing really well they are focused solely on natively creating short form video Uh, i I was a little confused when you said natively creating uh, i thought like like gary v putting his phone in front of him and like record for a minute. And no, just not necessarily, it. not necessarily. Right. Like it, it could be shot from your phone, but what I'm saying is if you just take something out of a longer form video and say, I'm going to try to make this fit as well as I can within 60 seconds, that's not going to perform as well as saying, I want to tell a story about this idea mm. in 60 seconds and scripting it with the idea that this is going to be a 60 second video that might be Got with it. your phone. That might be with a DSLR that you sit down and speak to and you have some B roll on there. Native just means like I made this to be a 60 second short form video. Gotcha. Gotcha. I think it's more, there is intentionality. Like I want to make short videos versus taking a short video from a long ass, you know, podcast. Yes. I I have like a follow-up question there, which I'm, I kind of like asking for myself, maybe Uh, it can be, you know, relatively uh, relevant for many folks who are listening. So uh, this is my seventh episode. I haven't done any, uh, Again, no, not optimizing, but haven't done any promotion content, like no teaser per se. I'm just like enjoying this for myself and learning from mainly from the conversation. Uh, today is a special, it is a different day because this is about podcasting. So I have to like implement it, what I learned from you. What do you suggest for people like me who are just getting started as a podcast host? Uh, what What kind of promotional content we have to create around our podcast? I... Don't even think that you need to, because in my opinion, Mm -hmm. like it's going to be mostly a waste of time because the people that are creating the only promotional content that I see that has any real positive impact is repurposing from a video podcast for short form clips. I think there is some merit to that. I don't have a ton of compelling data, but it definitely gives you some opportunity for uh, organic scale on the short form platforms, which creates some awareness of you, which maybe becomes podcast viewers. But the reality is for most podcasts, this is not a new audience acquisition vehicle. This is, this is deepening relationships with your existing audience. So really you just need to make sure that people in your audience know that you have a podcast Mm -hmm. and it's less about like, 
hey, you know, here's this audiogram from it because that shit doesn't work. And it's more about like, <laughs> I, I, this week I spoke to this person. We, we've had a little bit of success with the video show of creating, we call them trailers mm-hmm. that we can, we can show like, hey, there's a new episode. Um, and some of those do pretty well, especially if the guest decides to retweet them. Right. But um, not incredible. And even mm. like t- today's episode with Jake, I think it's a banger of a video. And we, we redid the intro. The intro became the trailer. Trailer's really right. good. Last I checked, it had like almost 4,000 views on Twitter of that trailer. But yes. the, the YouTube video itself has like sub 300 views. So you're not, mm. you're not seeing a lot of behavior of people going from video trailer to watching the video interview on YouTube. But the, the nature of having your show in video is good because it could get some good reach in YouTube. Like I have seen some long form video interviews get picked up in the browse section of YouTube and in search, and that can do pretty well. Our, right. our Justin Welsh interview does yep. like a hundred organic views every 48 hours right now, which is crazy. Like a hundred right. people just out of nowhere, find my podcast every 48 hours because of this one interview with Justin. Hmm. That's, that's where a new audience comes from is just being a video podcast on YouTube. I love that. You know, I should, I should definitely <laughs> repurpose some of the shorts. Uh, that's my plan. Want to like be very mindful at the same time, not to go, not to go too crazy on like, you know, editing and adding more effects and whatnot. Awesome. So one thing I, I think I forgot to ask, which is you, you talked briefly about affiliate system, right? As a product builder, uh, there is a certain kind of rules you you make an affiliate program work, which I failed as a founder and I learned after failing, this is how you should run an affiliate program. Uh, just to give a brief lessons there, one is you have to uh, prepare the content, make make the links available for your affiliates to share with their audience. Basically, you have to do the work for, your, for them and they will just distribute. That's one major lesson I learned, uh, how it works for content creators. Is it the same or do you have something, uh, some, some different approach? It's, it's pretty much the same. I, I've never been super successful with affiliate sales, at least for my courses. Like I have done a couple of concerted campaigns. I, I did an effort with the smart passive income team last year for my freelancing courses. And that was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I very much worked with their team to like construct the copywriting for the emails and things. What I've seen be effective for the membership, the lab, I've paid out, uh, like $6,000 in affiliate fees over the last couple of months. And what, what really just works there is it's a compelling program from an incentive structure. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's $1,500 minimum to join the community right now. I mm-hmm. offer a 25% recurring commission to anyone that's referred so not only right. is that like $375 or up to $625 if you sell the second tier per year per mm. referral, um, members are also incentivized to make the community really great because they want people to renew because they'll just right. pick up that check again next year. So having an affiliate or a, a, a compelling incentive at like the individual level, which is hard in SaaS because like if you're a $15 per month SaaS company, and you give, right. you know, 33% commissions, you're giving $5 per month per referral to that person. And it could be a lot of work to run a good affiliate campaign and net, you know, yep. $25 per month for doing a pretty good job of sending customers your way. So right. it, I think it comes down to uh, the incentive and what type of scale the person is working with for how much work they're willing to do themselves. If you mm-hmm. have a great campaign or a great product with a great incentive and it doesn't take a lot of volume to do well. Right. People will do more work themselves. I love that. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, uh, that's a very clever way of putting it, incentivizing uh, and luring people in to actually buy in. Uh, some other questions I have, which are uh, kind of cliche, but I want to ask, like, take, take your, your opinion on, what do you think a successful creator uh what qualities you think a successful creator should carry in your opinion? Yeah, I think they need to be patient uh, and also consistent and resilient. It's kind of the way I'd put it Uh, because this is a game of attrition. 
a lot of creators that I got close to and we had like masterminds together and we're trying to do things like they've quit. They've, they've given up because it's hard. It's even mm. if things are going pretty well, like it's a lot of work. It's really hard. Most right. people will give up. So you need to both be consistent so that you're publishing over time. So you get the benefit of time passing, but then patient to let time pass to know that I'm going to keep doing this. This is in it for the wrong, the long game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you also need to be resilient because it is challenging and Sometimes the data you get back is not good and you have to make hard choices. Right. A lot of people give up because like things are hard. So if you're, if you're patient, consistent and resilient, you're going to be in a really good spot to be successful. Um, and I would add that you, you do need to have this lens of improvement because mm. you can't just be consistent and put out garbage and never care to improve upon right. it or right. like look at why it's not performing well and expect that time will solve everything for you. Like you, right. you do have to be taking some steps to try and get better over time, but if you're getting better over time and you're willing to do that for a long period of time, you're, you're certain to find some level yep. of success. Like there's, there's just no way around it. Yeah. If you, if you play long enough, you'll find success in no time. <laughs> you just have to be very patient. Love that. Uh, how do you how do you see competition? Do you see because I think it's slightly different for SaaS founders or startup founders. Uh, competition for them is it's it's being authentic in in a way that you attract your customers. Like you know you do great customer service that that differentiates you from your competitors. For example, yeah, What's, I think it's different, and I think it's different in a creator realm than SaaS because I I think yeah. competition is a lot more real in SaaS because the the stated benefits of the product are like very specific jobs to be done type things that you can mm-hmm. say like did this solve my problem and did it do it more cost effectively than this solution over here it's a lot easier to compare software and even try software right yeah in absolutely. a creator world there are a lot of people who are going to be sharing a similar message but Mostly for the, the creators I work with, I would classify as creator educators where like the thing you're making is for the purpose of knowledge transfer. And there are going to be other people who are trying to transfer that knowledge, but you choose different universities based on a bunch of different factors, right? Like if you're going to college, mm-hmm. you could go sure. to a lot of different colleges and get a very similar education, but you make choices based on other factors. And maybe you look in to see who's going to teach you. But in the creator world, it's it's very much like, what are the other factors that care that I care about? And it's like values, personality, teaching style. We have the ability to choose our own staff of teachers for our lives and like right. pick them one by one. And people will choose your style if it is a unique style. Like the worst thing you can try to do is just mimic the competition because then you don't have your own style. Why would people choose you? Mm-hmm. So... I don't see a lot of competition. Um, that said, like there are definitely people who are swimming in a similar place and teaching similar things. And if there weren't, then the people mm-hmm. who are looking for the things that I'm teaching would all find their way to me. But right now right. they find their way to all kinds of different places. So it's it's on me to get in front of them, which is a lot of work. Like it's very much like a push thing as opposed to a pull. If mm-hmm. you if you're as if you're a creator who is helping people achieve some outcome and no one else is doing that and people are looking for that outcome, you're going to be in a really great place. So it it is good to try to figure out like, are there a lot of people already trying to do this? Because if there are, it's not that you're going to suffer a loss of sales that you would have had otherwise. But if, if there aren't, then your upside is a little bit higher. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's, uh, it's about, uh, what you said, absolutely right. Uh, you know, why am I blanking suddenly? <laughs> no, I think uh, competition, you know, dives a little deeper into authenticity and the more authentic you express yourself uh, and you, you you sort of find your own tribe in a way, right? Uh, and it, it applies to pretty much everything, everything you create, you know, your the way you deliver value, the way you care about what you talk and whatnot. So, I love that. Uh, the other thing I want to also talk about, you know, for people like myself, I do have like a full-time job. I'm doing a lot of things on the side, just out of my passion. I love creating, love creating content. Podcasting is one example. What are some tips you give for people like me, especially like balancing time, 
taking things seriously and you've you've yourself was a full-time employee yeah. at that time and you've mo- moved from there i think the longer you can prevent yourself from putting financial pressure on whatever your creative outlet is the better off you'll be because you do need to find your own voice, your approach. You need to make things that are authentically you. And if you have financial pressure on that thing, you're going to make decisions that are financially motivated, which will take you away from making the best decisions for the product. So having a full-time job, having a part-time job or freelancing on the side, whatever it is, whatever you can do to generate income to cover your needs while you build that thing to find an audience that really cares about it, I think is a really positive step. And think about your income as a proportion. Where you mm-hmm. have like whatever is bringing the money now, and that's 100% of your income today. And then you have your fun thing that you hope to become 100% of your income, but right now is 0%. You just want to change mm-hmm. that proportion over time where you're still hitting the income, the total income that you need, but the percentage is starting to shift towards the the creative work or the the creator business that you're building. And once you get to a point where that's fully taking care of your needs, then you can make a decision about the other thing. But I would I would protect the integrity of the creator thing you're trying to do and remove financial pressure from it as long as you're willing to stand it. Yeah, and at the same time, you you perform really well when you remove that type of pressure. And uh, you just, <laughs> again, we go back to the same thing. You kind of like do art for the sake of art. Like, you know, you kind of produce yeah. for the sake of uh producing it. Love that. Uh, I do have an interesting category, which I try to like, you know, make it fun. So I call this uh, rapid fire five. I have like five questions, you know, whatever comes to your mind, just shoot it out. You know, just some, some things are fun. Some things are a little bit serious, but uh, here we go. So the first question I have is which YouTube channel uh, are you the most inspired from? most inspired from ooh good question because there are ton you know you have your own taste so i, I want to tap into that yeah well in general we're trying to pull more inspiration from entertainment channels versus business channels mm. so i we we've been looking at uh some of hayden hillier smith's videos uh because he's like crazy good in the edit um Mm -hmm. i've also been trying to see long form video podcasts that are remote that are pretty good and i haven't found ones that i like a lot to be honest it's a hard thing to do Mm -hmm. um what was the other one i wanted to bring up though that i thought was really fun oh i really like the pat mcafee show because Mm -hmm. it's like high production but it doesn't look high production they have like a rotating cast of characters that's really cool so i'm trying to learn a little bit from that love that we'll we'll mention all the shout outs in the show notes okay so who's your all-time favorite podcast host all-time favorite podcast host i think that um you know i think i'm gonna have to say tim ferris he yep. he's the person that got me into podcasting. He's an incredible interviewer, actually. Mm. Um, he's really really good. But I do also want to shout out Rich Roll, who also mm-hmm. is an incredible interviewer. Absolutely, I love them both. I think one of the one of the uh, one of the important episodes, at least for me, uh, is Naval's interview with Tim Ferriss. All all three of mm-hmm. them. He did he did three episodes. It actually changed a lot of things for me. So shout out to Tim. Uh, so what are you geeking these days? Like it can be content, it can be, you know, uh, tinkering with physical products or software products. What are you like most geeking about? I think I would just say YouTube. Like there's so much opportunity there. The analytics are so clear. Hmm. I wish I would have started on YouTube years ago. So we're we're looking at how we can re- like overhaul our whole content strategy next year to be more YouTube centric. And that's really exciting to me. Love that. So one lesson you learned recently that changed your perspective as a creator. I learned this lesson over and over again all the time, but like all you need is belief. Like we, we love these documentaries about 
Elizabeth Holmes or the WeWork founder or Anna Delvey. And we're like, how do these people get away with these things? But the thing mm. is like, they just believe that they could. And sometimes that goes really wrong, but mm. there are a lot of people who are enjoying all the results that you want to enjoy. And the only difference between you and them is that they believe in themselves more. And so they act accordingly. Like they do things because they think that they can and it will work. That hit really hard. <laughs> it's been a while. Uh, I, I, I kind of think about beliefs. You know, these days it's all about like creation, iteration, experimentation, like how I mentioned. That really hits hard, you know, because on many levels, you know, if you're doing something wrong and yet you believe, you make it happen, right? Yep. It's, it's, it's that thin line. So belief really works for people who's doing incredible things as well as terrible things. So yep. it is not biased. So I think yes. it's so pure by itself that if you have the courage to believe in yourself, it really doesn't matter, like, you know, what you want to achieve. So I love... Love that. Thanks for, you know, bringing that up again. Uh, last question. If you want to give a shout out to one person who helped you where you are right now, who would that be? I would shout out uh, Chris McAllister. He was a coach that I worked out worked with in 2017. His website is siteshift.com. Mm -hmm. And he helped me identify some limiting beliefs that once I cleared them out, I was able to pursue being a creator. Awesome. Shout out to him. Uh, and thanks for him for, so that you, we, we have you. <laughs> yes. The, the Jay we, we love, man, this has been so much fun. I have, I do have a lot of questions about like creator educators, creator entertainers, the differentiation you did, uh, many questions about metrics, many questions about like other things. Maybe we should bring you back, but at the same time, I'm trying to like, you know, finding, different times with these yeah. episodes, like, you know, 50 minute limit, yeah. 30 minute limit and so on and so forth. Oh, but this has been so much fun. I learned a ton. I hope I implement some of these lessons for my <laughs> podcast and, uh, you know, uh, definitely like observe the behaviors, experiment a lot and tinker a bit, 1% become better. Uh, but yeah, what, what are some things you want to like, you know, give a shout out about what, you, what, what are you up to? Where, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at jklaus. You can subscribe to my newsletter at creatorscience.com. Awesome. That's that's so simple. <laughs> we'll, we'll include all those links. Jay, this has been a blast and uh, appreciate you coming. Uh, yeah, man. Thanks all, for having me. Absolutely. And folks who are listening, that, that's a wrap. Stay tuned for the next episode You know where I, I talk to like founders, creators, venture capitalists, you know, so, so many other interesting people and hopefully like, you know, make your life a little bit better. Stay tuned. Thanks.